everybody and welcome to the very 111th episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a number that's a lot less fun to say than it is to write down. My name is Quentin Smith and I am joined by just one person on this podcast and I'm delighted to say it's staff writer Ava Foxford. How are you doing, Ava? I am actually pretty good. The sun is shining and I've been playing games. Well, I mean, you say the sun's shining. You did just tell me before the podcast begins that you are relieved you sealed the sun out of the room you're recording the podcast in. Is that right? Yeah, but I'm glad to know that the sun is still out there. <laughs> like It's well, reassuring to know that other people are slowly being cooked while I, I am in my cool, dim, dank uh, attic bedroom. It is my favourite kind of weather. I don't mind telling you when it's raining outside and I am perfectly... Uh, I almost said squeaky dry. That's not a term. <laughs> That's a combination of squeaky clean and, I don't know, dry as a bone. Do you actually get dry enough that you squeak? Uh, no. No matter how hard I towel myself. Although, I'm now of an age where I'm sort of like starting to see like the wrinkles in my face for the first time. So I'm, I'm sort of being a lot less vigorous in, in my sort of facial toweling, all of that. It's, uh, age comes at me fast, Ava. Uh, um, it always makes me really grumpy when you and Matt complain about getting old when I am older than both of you. How, how, how old are you? I'm 36. Okay, that's fine. That's younger. That I, I can't say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> today on this podcast, we are going to be talking about some board games. Believe it or not, I swear we are. We're going to be talking about Isle of Cats, a game about saving cats, which are Tetris shapes. We're going to be talking about Planet Apocalypse, a game about hell coming to reclaim the Earth and you being the last line of defense against those nasty, nasty demons. We're going to be talking about Antiquity, a game that asks, what if civilization was crossed with subsistence farming? And uh, I'm going to be talking a little bit about Western Empires, which, Ava, you played back when it was called Mega Civilization, didn't you? Yeah, no, that's true. I've got two games of Mega Civ under my uh, belt. Um, Wait, hang on. You... I, I don't. <laughs> we'll just have to tease that later. Because didn't you tell me you like really didn't like? It <laughs> I really it? didn't like it, but I really did want to try it again to be sure. <laughs> wow, that makes two of us who've played it twice and are now kind of like unsure that that was a good decision in any way. Yeah. Isle of Cats is a slightly weird hodgepodge of ideas all brought together in one little game. Players take the role of pirates of some form i don't know i assume that there's some reason why you've got boats um and you are trying to go to the titular island full of cats and rescue as many as you can as possible you can't see me but my hand is already raised above my head i've, <laughs> I've got i've got a, why why are there cats on an island we don't okay. know they're they're strange cats there's a hell of a lot of them um and someone is coming to kill the cats for some unknown reason and Goodness you were, gracious. You were definitely not trying to kill the cat. You're just trying to squeeze as many as possible onto your boat um, before this person comes and kills them. Which does mean that, like, throughout the game, you're kind of taking these tiles off the board. And it does mean that any that you don't take die. <laughs> which is, is it, actually quite a grim backstory that I don't think they've really thought through. I mean, especially for a game which, I, it's a pun, right? I Love Cats is supposed to be I Love Cats. Yeah, yeah. I think it is is intended to be a quite bad pun. Uh, but the game isn't quite bad. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, it's all right. It's all right. So one of the things that's really cute about this is, first of all, like cats stretching into lots of different positions is actually a perfect fit for the polyomino thing. Like 
you've got all of these tiles of very specific shapes, like tend to be more tiles, they're more than four squares. So they're not strictly speaking Tetris tiles, but we're going to call them Tetris tiles. Um, and yeah, it's got each one has a gorgeous illustration of one of five, six different fantas- fantastical cats stretched out and leaning or yawning or grabbing for a fish or something weird. Um, and it's perfect because they look adorable and they're, they're all cuddled up together and you're laying them close together and it's just like you're piling cats next to each other um, and giving them enough personal space to survive whilst also cramming as many onto a pirate ship as possible. You uh, win the game through the accrual of points. There's lots of different things that you get points for, some things for covering up stuff, some things for you lose some points if you don't fill up all of the rooms properly. Um, there's some points for treasure there's points for having lots of the same colored cat together and all of those sort of things the sort of things you'd expect to get points for Um, (laughs) there's also cards you pick up during the game uh, that give you bonus points for having done a certain thing like having loads of cats touching the edge or lots or having the most of one color or uh, and so on and so forth and there's all of this in it and it's in theory that part of it is nice and clean and simple but isle of cats isn't willing to settle for that um, it is also building up to this a drafting game. So each turn you take seven cards from a huge deck that's full of various different things. Some of the things will let you get more cats. Some things will let you get more treasure tiles, which are worth money and also tend to be smaller. So they're useful for filling up those little gaps. There is uh, special bonuses and those uh, lesson cards, which get you extra points at the end, some of which are public and shared between all of the players. So once you activate them, like everyone gets points for that thing. And... Yeah, so you take seven cards and you take one and you take two and you pass them along and then you take two and you pass them along and you take two and you pass them along until you're back left giving being taking one card from someone and you're left with seven cards again. And then you have to pay for those things. So at the beginning of each round, you get a bundle of fish. And (laughs) if you can't tell, like I'm a little bit grouchy at the fact that like something like very simple and elegant in terms of here's a thing that you are trying to fill with tetris pieces has got this added layer of uh, faff is the only word i can say something in games i really dislike is where you draft or acquire rules cards or cards that sort of provide you with points sort of rather than the game having a robust structure where it says okay this is the game you're going to get points for this like in baron park you know you have to fill squares with these bears um because to pull out another animal-based tile laying game but i always see games that sort of offer with scoring conditions as you go on as like almost like a salve on the fact that the game doesn't have one strong through line you know what i mean yeah no and i think that that's a really valid point here like um one of the things that i think is is there is there's something about um using drafting to balance out the randomness of card draw is actually kind of quite irritating and a bit of a cop out mm. and doesn't really fix that problem. Like I, I, in Terraforming Mars, I think I'm a bigger fan of Terraforming Mars than than the rest of the crew. But whenever I sit down with people who decide that they want to play the drafting variant, all I can think is, oh, we're going to spend an extra half an hour, an hour playing this game just so that we can mitigate a tiny bit of luck. And to be honest, drafting doesn't actually fix luck. Like, you know, it can still be the case that everyone draws cards and you end up with not 
one of the things that wins you the game. And it just feels like it just feels like it's something that pulls you away from the the core question in Isle of Cats of like, can you get these cats? Can you fit them on? But but and this was what I've actually been playing <laughs> recently. There is it had a get out, and this was actually what tricked me into backing the Kickstarter when I was really, really on the fence and really not sure. Because I was I looked through the rule book and I was like, oh, that's quite a lot of phases for a game that should just be about putting cats onto a boat. Uh, Isle of Cats has a family mode, which I had a sneaky suspicion might be significantly more interesting than the grown-up mode. Because the family mode is just as simple as you deal out some cats, uh, if, take turns grabbing them, you're putting them on the boats. The scoring remains roughly the same. Like there are, uh, you get dealt three uh, cards at the beginning that will get you bonus points and you get to keep two of those and keep those secret. So everybody's got slightly different goals and you don't know what they are. But otherwise, everyone is just grabbing cats and putting them onto their thing, removes the currency, removes the drafting and just is literally putting cats onto a pirate ship i mean that's that does sound like the appeal you know if people at home haven't seen what isle of cats looks like you know maybe we'll try and put this one in the podcast image file but you know these cats are so sort of beautiful and the idea of like packing them into a boat so you've, you're looking out across this like marvelous tapestry of you know cur- curling and stretching cats it looks gorgeous yeah yeah uh the problem with it is that the family game is like incredibly ruthless <laughs> <laughs> incredibly punishing in a way that the the standard game doesn't really feel like it, you you do get shafted so to speak by the specific cats that come out on the last i've just realized i've said you get shafted by cats and i don't know if i want that in there <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, I am editing the podcast, so I think you just have to power through. <laughs> the problem with the family mode is that, or not necessarily a problem, but the thing that doesn't sound right for something called a family mode is that you will absolutely get yourself screwed over and screw yourself over and see on the last turn all of the tiles will be revealed and there will be absolutely nothing that you can fit onto your ship and everything that you would hope to do is ruined like it it is much more punishing and much less forgiving of where you place things and and how you kind of go for those goals i can't quite work out why it's so much more ruthless i think it's that the drafting actually limits how many cats you can get in a round and so if you're just actually there's four tiles you're going to get four cats every round because there's four tiles per player dealt out and I think it, it's the right amount to fill up a pirate ship. How interesting, though. You know, yes. how fun that, like, we only associate, you know, family, the word family with, oh, it means it's simple, which means it's dumb. Mm. Whereas I think you've really found something interesting there, which is when games have loads of rules, when they have loads of optional modules, sometimes, depending on the design, that can make a game easier. Or certainly it can make it easier to feel like you're doing all right. Mm. Whereas we've all had those times playing... I don't know, something like Blockus. You know, it's the simplest games, which often give you no- nowhere to hide from the realization that you goofed this, you yeah. know, that you made a horrible mess. <laughs> yeah, no, there's definitely, there's just room to leave yourself in terrible positions and to not have thought about the fact that, that you're, you're leaving a space for a very specific cat and that cat might just not come along. And <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you just got to face it. You're not always going to get the cat you want in this world. So it's lessons for all of the family. I guess that's the point there. Ava, Ava, <laughs> do you regret backing the Kickstarter? I regret 
No. Okay, that's going to be like a politician's answer there. I regret the opportunity. (laughs) I regret the opportunity. I regret buying the uh, five-player expansion additional bit that um, chucks uh, a few extra tiles in the bag and gives you a stack of extra cards, but then insists that every time you play, you have to remove or extract a very specific set of cards <laughs> from it. Oh, that's the like, worst. All of the expansion-y bits are like these little modules that you can put stuff in and out, but if you put one in, you have to take something else out. And you've got, you're talking about a massive like six-inch tall deck of cards anyway, and to go through that and remove all of the cards that have A on so that you can add in all of the cards that have G on, it's just a lot of faff. Like What I would say is that the retail edition of this without the extra bonus bits is probably going to be a a smoother, better box than uh, anyone on Kickstarter gets. So you don't have to have regret if you didn't get the Kickstarter, but you're still in the mood for shoving some felines onto a boat. Ava, I have been playing Sandy Peterson's Planet Apocalypse. Now, we don't always say designers' names on this show, but um, I'm going to say Sandy Peterson's name because Planet Apocalypse, for me, has cemented Sandy Peterson as the king of stupid games where you roll dice and things die. <laughs> um, this is the person who was uh, one of the designers, I believe, on Cthulhu Wars, which I reviewed uh, last Christmas. So this ridiculously enormous game of you know Elder Ones bashing against one another that... I can kind of maybe sometimes describe to you as the game that people want Risk to be. Ooh. So Planet Apocalypse is this beefy new Kickstarter in which uh, players are going to cooperatively try and fight the forces of hell. And there's a little bit of world building that I'm going to talk about, inspired by your defense of the world building in Procyon 3 on the last podcast, Ava. Um, here's what I like. The manual says that all the governments of the world know that Doomsday is coming that eventually Satan's minions are going to sprawl off into through gates into the world and they're going to take control of everything. But the governments of the world are like, we're going to prepare for this. We're going to uh, all make heroes who are going to be trained and they're going to have like super magical hexes baked into their body and they're going to protect the world. So you'd assume that's who you play in Planet Apocalypse. And it's a very small detail, but what I like is that the manual says, but those people were so tainted with, you know, dark satanic power that they became the gates <laughs> they were the thing that the in fact the bosses in planet apocalypse are those heroes but they've taken the form of beelzebub and awful demonic miniatures um who you play instead are the people that are connected to them in some way so one of the characters someone is someone who got like a kidney transplant from one of the heroes <laughs> Um, someone else got like a blood infusion. Someone else is like a long lost cousin. So you have like just <laughs> enough association with the heroes without being tainted by the forces of evil, which I thought was cute. So in my uh, solo game, uh, in which you have to control two characters, I played um, an Israeli sniper, but also an Indonesian transfer student. Um, so that was pretty fun. Uh, and then what you've got in this game is, depending on what expansions you have, because this was an enormous Kickstarter that had, I looked up before the podcast, Ava, four discrete expansion boxes that you can buy. Ooh. And all of these offer different sort of maps and different enemies. So you can fight, you know, Astrogoth on the moon, or you can fight Beelzebub on the normal map, whatever. Um, but kind of whoever you're fighting or whatever the map is, you're going to do the same thing, which is waves of demons lovely little demon miniatures are going to go running towards your sort of home base where you sort of can recruit friends. And uh, it's a tower defense game in a nutshell. They run all the way towards this thing. And if they get off the other side of the map, 
you get that much closer to losing the game. However, there is also this big bad, this giant demon who is creeping towards you and uh, making more and more of the map sort of a wasteland. So you have a tower defense game that does borrow the mechanic of tower defense video games where the big boss will approach at the end, but instead the big boss is approaching from the beginning. And so from turn one, you have a smaller and smaller and smaller possibility space because you win by fighting the big boss, but you're just trying to kill small demons, level up, get items um, quick enough that eventually you'll be able to attack the boss before uh, the boss puts you into such a cramped position that playing the game becomes too difficult. And it's good. Here's the thing. It's really, really, really fun. Um, I'm not going to be doing a video review of Planet Apocalypse, mostly because we just missed the Kickstarter and it's too expensive and it's too big. And everything I said in the Cthulhu Wars Kickstarter, I'm like, this is so much fun. Why is it so big? Why is it full of so much plastic? It's not even like, you know, Matt and um, Tom reviewed uh, Nemesis recently. And it's like, that's an expensive game with a lot of components. Sandy Peterson makes games that are just too big. Like, there is no reason Planet Apocalypse doesn't have to be, like, 30% smaller. And then because, and I make this point in Cthulhu Wars, if you make everything in a game 30% smaller, it, like, halves the price. You know, it doesn't, because of how plastic and, and area works, and volume, rather. Does this make sense? Yeah, yeah, no. So mathematically, you can shave more off the price by shaving a tiny bit around the outside. Yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you. Good. Yeah. Very good. So yeah, I won't be reviewing it for that reason. It's just too expensive and too unavailable. But I had a bunch of fun playing it. Um, mm. And the mechanic in it that sort of powers it that's really, really nice is that uh, the sort of towers you would place in a tower defense game are people. You can only recruit from your home base. So if you start your turn at the like, you know, in whatever town, you know, post-apocalyptic Chicago that you're trying to protect as demons run towards it. <laughs> you, uh, if you start your turn there, you can roll a dice and then recruit someone. A low roll might mean you can just have like a volunteer. A higher roll might mean a police officer. An even higher roll might mean a soldier or a special forces person. So you can recruit these people. And then as you run away, uh, sort of into the fight, those people are kind of your buffer to save you from dying. So if you have a police officer and you take damage and you would die, which would be terrible for all the players, you can instead lose your police officer. However, you can also take an action to take that police officer who's keeping you safe and put them on the map. So that police officer is now like a discrete guerrilla unit. And whenever demons walk through that space, the police officer, or hopefully, hopefully, Ava, you've been organized enough to get a bunch of police officers. Because weirdly, they only work together with people who before the apocalypse had the same job as them. So police officers will work together with other police officers and army people will work together with other army people. Anyway. Um, I can so, kind yeah, of imagine that kind of bitterness translating. I, I, as soon as I said it, I was making fun of it, but I'll, no, actually, I can no, actually, totally see that happening. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the game. You're running around, killing things, leveling up, taking the points you've got to buy items, which are known as gifts, which might be sort of like, you know, the Holy Grail or a gun or whatever, um, while also trying to like, in a comparison, I really like Planet Apocalypse is a bit like cricket because you know when you're batting in cricket and then depending on how far you thwack the ball, um, you can try and do that many runs with your partner. You know, you're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, like a sort of accelerated version of yeah, running yeah. around a baseball diamond. Yeah. Um, Planet Apocalypse has a slightly similar structure where you're trying to gauge how late you can sort of stay away from the home base before, da- like, you know, running around and killing demons before dashing back. Um, I feel like I'm rambling. I feel like I'm so excited by this game and it's so thematic. <laughs> I'm just talking and talking and talking and I'm saying words like demons and dice and cool and fun. And I don't know the degree to which 
I'm saying you're anything... making it sound cool and fun, but I also like I'm not sure that I it, it just sounds like a lot of things. There's something really interesting in that. Like I think that uh, cricket style push your luck game sounds quite interesting. Like the idea yep. that things are crushing down in on you and you've got to figure out exactly how much time you've got or exactly how much stronger you can get in order to get back to the thing like um mage knight has a thing like that i believe like one of the one of the expansion scenarios has a kind of like you can go and you can level up as far as you want but you've got to get back home before the other guy does and if you don't and you're or you're not strong enough by that point and and there's a really good dynamic there there's a really nice like tension of timing and honestly just to hear you say that the game is a board game is like cricket whilst also being about throwing police officers in front of demons <laughs> i you know it's it, you've 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 made a pitch there and that's it yeah i'm not sure i necessarily yeah i'm not sure whether i'm on board but i'm listening well let me, you know what that's the least no that's the most i could ask for least or most i'm not sure let's just say it's both so here is what I would say. When we've got these very thematic, archetypally trashy games, which involve rolling a lot of dice, here's what Sandy Peterson gets. He lets you roll dice a lot, and he makes those rolls exciting, right? You know, so much of why Planet Apocalypse is fun as a sort of action-packed game is you don't do a lot on your turn because that would turn it into a complicated game. Instead, the decision is really, where do you want to move, and are you going to attack? That's that's kind of the nut of your decision-making in Planet Apocalypse. And within that decision, you if you choose to go and attack, you go in, you roll dice, and if you botch that roll, you're in real trouble. You are literally surrounded by demons. If you, have, if you happen to be going last that turn and your friends can't leap in and save you, and that's the other thing, for a cooperative game, my goodness, Planet Apocalypse is so full of players helping one another out, spending their own courage tokens to help someone else just have slightly better dice, diving in to when someone's surrounded by demons and battering them down so that player doesn't die because you get to roll a lot of dice this turn and you're on your turn over the demons get to roll way more dice when they attack you and delightfully the time you roll the most dice is at the very end of every single turn to see which new demons spawn the way that you spawn demons is by taking a huge handful of like seven or eight dice you roll them and on every side of all these dice is like half of a demonic sigil so like for example the little cheap demons are spawned if you roll two for every two of the sort of brown sigils you roll what that means is you roll this giant pool of dice and then you fuse pairs together because every face of the dice has half of the symbol so it's kind of like you roll eight dice and you might get four browns so you go clink 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 and you push or clink clink to push those four dice together you see how that works Yeah, yeah 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 It's a very simple thing. It, it's not a, it doesn't involve teaching any extra rules. It just means you get to roll more dice. And somehow, like, if you just, if it was like, if you roll an eight or higher, spawn a big demon, that doesn't feel like anything. But if you roll the dice and then you see you've rolled, oh God, two of the pink symbols, clink, they go together. And that is a satisfying way to bring a horrible mini boss into the world. Yeah, that's yeah. really nice. And it, it kind of um, hides the, the, probability of that happening as well like it makes it really unclear what you're going to get so you are actually just like holding your breath dropping these dice and going oh my god and looking for those matching pairs and exactly yeah there's exactly. A, there's an uncertainty there that's it yeah that sounds really strong sounds really it's strong. nice uh, it's nice and i think you know maybe it's probably a sign that you know when people want sort of really flashy thematic stuff from kickstarter maybe yeah. 
don't go straight to looking at art. Don't go straight to looking at miniatures because as much as Shut Up and Sit Down, you know, wrinkles its nose at, you know, people who spend tons of money on thematic games on Kickstarter rather than buying 10 better games for the same price, arguably. You know, Planet Apocalypse is like, if you're going to do it, if you're going to go all in on something really dumb, personally, I would choose something like Planet Apocalypse because it does have silly miniatures, but also the game is just super robust. It's the kind of co-op game that I can see people high-fiving each other about. And I'm going to stop talking about Planet Apocalypse there, I think, because while there is some stock available around the world, it is still very expensive, and I don't think there is that much stock kicking around. But if you want to take a chance on it, I would say go for it. I want to talk to you, Quins, about a game that is probably the opposite of Planet Apocalypse, In that, <laughs> apart okay. from the fact that it is also probably not very available right now. Although there is a lovely implementation, and when I say lovely, I mean hellish, uh, available online. But we'll get back to that. I want to talk to you about Antiquity. Uh, this is a splutter spelling game, uh, which gives you... Anyone who uh, has seen the review of Food Chain Magmate might have a bit of an idea what they are getting in for here. We're talking about a game that has no dice whatsoever, has no luck whatsoever, <laughs> and is just your ruthless brain against someone else's ruthless brain. And not only that, but the absolute horror of the game itself trying to slowly kill you. Oh, this is, I've just brought up a photo. This is the most beige thing I've ever seen. No, it's yeah. oh, so goodness. beige. It's leaned so far into the kind of like beige, we're talking about medieval Europe, so we're not going to give you any colour whatsoever. But it, it does. It looks like a piece of bread gave birth to a board game. It's, 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 I, I, so I, part of me is like, I want to say it's horrible. It's really dull looking. It's right. But it's also, it does the same thing that Food Chain Magnate does of like, while it is like lo-fi and uh, colourless, <laughs> like it, everything in it is done with the same style. Like there's a consistency throughout absolutely every piece in this game. Like honestly, one of the buildings that you can build is uh, the uh, rubbish dump in your town. And it is just a tiny little brick that has D U M P printed in every corner. <laughs> and it's just, I don't know. Everything about it is like draw look, looks like it's been drawn on weathered paper and like, inked in yeah this is this is nuts i'd not seen a photo of this before but you can see how this is exactly like food chain magnate it's it is very brown in the same way that food chain magnate is very white but it's consistent and i would not say it's ugly at all yeah no it's very very pretty i think it looks really really good on the table um uh uh, but that's not all that we care about so quince i want you to picture something i want you to picture that you are dropped into the year 1050 and rural Italy. How do you think you would fare? I was feeling all right until you said rural Italy. Um, (laughs) I think I'm dead within seven hours. Yes, so antiquity appears to be trying to simulate that. Um, You start off with a city. There's uh, some hexes laid out in front of you. So there's big hexes, which have got tiny little hexes on them, and that lays out the landscape. It looks quite a lot like a civilization game from a distance, and it shares a lot of elements with... Uh, that sort of standard. Um, You start off with a city um, and uh, that city also gives you your little player aid, which is a little kind of menu that you fold out that has a little grid in the corner. And that is the part of the bit of your city where you can build. 
um, out in the land, there's various um, textures of landscape. So there's mountains and, and trees and rivers and, and little occasional exploration tiles that are like things where you might possibly be able to go and get a tiny bit of food. And all of this is laid out before you. And then you go through the rules. And I found that the best way to do this is to, to go backwards through the rules because it's really important for people to not get too excited during that, like the early phases of the game. <laughs> You're building stuff and you've got opportunities to do lots of things. But you've got to know that like the last few phases are pollution and famine and just like <laughs> everything crushing down around you. Um and yeah, these are all of the things that you've got to deal with because this isn't your this isn't your grandpappy's civilization game. Like this isn't this isn't gonna guide you through like a turn by turn thing. Like this is gonna make you struggle for every single thing that you get. Yeah, I think I think when we say civilization games, people um think that's synonymous with growth, right? Partially because of the impact of the video game, but also board games in the eighties. Like it's this idea that oh, I've got one city, then I'll have two, then three, then I'll build the Eiffel Tower. You know, this looks a little more more like Agricola. Yes, no, it's definitely got that. And it is, it's is—it's an interesting comparison because I'm on the record as really not liking Agricola because it is too cruel and too hard. Mm. Um, and antiquity is crueler and harder than, and, than Agricola. Absolutely. Like, so... So let's give you... Let's try and give you a little picture of what you're doing. The core of the game is that you have a little grid that is your city and you have these little Tetris pieces of buildings that you're allowed to build on your turn. You start with a little bit of wood, a little bit of stone, so you've got some options for what you build. Um, those buildings each give you a special ability that you will be able to use later on through the turn. Um, so, for example, the more cart buildings you've got, the more people you can send out into the wilderness to go and set up farms, and that will be how you slowly get resources, and that's mm. great. Emphasis on the slowly there in how slowly you get resources. <laughs> like during the countryside building phase, it's really exciting. You find a you find a place that's like, oh right, I can put a lumberjack there and there's plenty of wood around it. So you place these little tokens on the board. It is slightly faffy because you have to do things in a very particular order. Um but though you place all these tokens on the board and then each one of those buildings, once per turn, you will be able to harvest and get one thing back. So you think you're getting this slow trickle of stuff. And you are getting a slow trickle of stuff, but it is such a slow trickle. And then every turn you're looking at your board and in order for a building to work, for most of the buildings, it needs to have a person in it, uh, which means you have to build housing. And there's, it's fine. The first five houses in your, in your city, they're free. And after that, they slowly get more and more expensive as the people start wanting more food or greater variety of food or fancier goods to come and join in on your city and like get involved. But the people that you're sending out to work in the fields stay out in the fields. The people, and so they're not available anymore. So you put someone on a car and then you lose them for eight rounds while they slowly chop that wood that is in theory allowing you to build stuff, but it's also stopping you from doing the things that you so desperately want to do. Like the feeling of the first few times of antiquity is desperately struggling to just about break even. <laughs> <laughs> and this is made even more visceral by the fact so those famine and those pollution phases uh, the famine phase in particular each turn the famine level will go up by one each time you find one of those like precious seeds of food in the exploration target the famine level goes up by one which means that and uh, the famine level is how many people die unless you have food <laughs> in stock for them oh what <laughs> 
Yeah, you have to have some food in stock. Now, you don't use that food, but you have to have food harvested and ready during the famine phase in order to go. You can get a granary, which is one of the few buildings which doesn't need to be occupied, um, although I didn't realise that that didn't need to be occupied, so I didn't build one until the late stages of the game. And, and when someone dies, that's a little gravestone with the names of one of the designers or one of the designer's friends <laughs> that you drop into one of the spaces on your city. So if you, you're slowly filling up the empty spaces with this little Tetris grid oh, that you're what? filling in. Yeah, yeah. And if you haven't got enough room for a, 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 a graveyard or for one of the little uh, gravestones, um, you've got to put it in a building. And that building doesn't work <laughs> anymore because it's got dead people in it. Wow. Honestly, the balancing act that you have to do between growing and building and keeping people alive, and honestly, it really just a, becomes a case of being like, right, I think I can afford to let like four people die this turn. <laughs> So let's do it. And then you place those four people and it's closing down your options for the next turn. And so that idea of growth, you know, you do in this game, you will want to build a second city. The reason you want to build a second city is so that you've got room for a graveyard. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a place to put corpses. Can you imagine that? Like, you know, the, the pioneers are looking out. It's like, mother, we could build a town over there. There's running water and the thousands of bodies we need to bury. They could be there. <laughs> it's exactly that. And it's it's grim and it's brutal at kind of every turn. Um, and it just it's just got a load of fascinating choices like that that make it not really nasty. And like, it's a game of survival for so much of it. And then you do hit a point eventually if you don't knock yourself out of the running, which is... Because this is a slot of game, that is entirely possible to happen very early on. I would love to take a second now, because we've, uh, only briefly, but the, the crew has now played enough splotter games that we're starting to see the commonality between all of them. You know, like, pl- it, it, looking at pictures of antiquity and hearing you talk about it, there's a bit of food chain magnet in there. There's also a bit of roads and boats in there, which Matt and I played a lot of um, last year. And I don't even think it's... It's fair to say that splotter games are, you know, games with the bumpers taken off, which is probably a comparison that we've used before. But I'm struggling to think how I would summarize them. Do you have any idea? I mean, someone someone told me recently, and I haven't managed to fact test this quote, but someone told me recently that one of the designers said, if you can't lose a game on turn one, there's no point in having a turn one. You know, that whether you agree with it or not, there's a lot of truth in that. There's, because there's if, a brutality if you, if in there. Well, I mean, if you can't lose turn one, that means that the decisions you're making in turn one are somewhat irrelevant. Yeah. You know, or at least certainly if we, we can kick this question down the road and return to it later, but certainly we can say splotter games are games where it's good. It's possible to make good decisions on every turn. It's possible to feel really good about any given turn in a splotter game. It's also possible to feel awful. Like you, it's, they're games where you can do things and go, Oh, no, that was an awful choice. I was playing my absolute hardest. I was paying attention, and I still made a choice that has put me in a terrible place. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that um, unlike Food Chain Magnate, which you can just you just watch people accruing 10 times the money that you're getting on a turn and realize that you're just going to be slowly driven into the floor for a while. Um, antiquity, if you, if, you, if you come out the gates really badly and you you mess up, then you just you are just stuck and you are stopped. And you can probably, generally speaking, you could probably call it and just stop and and walk away from it. I don't know if you'd want to do that. Um, and we had a player who did pin themselves into a corner and worked out about halfway through our game 
and uh, but wanted so much to power on and see how this worked and see how long he could hold on to, hoping that we would all die before he, <laughs> he had he had quite an efficient engine that was just slowly not allowing him to do anything else. Oh, uh, whereas other people had engines that were spooling up. But every turn, everyone was still swearing. Everyone was still going, oh, my God, I don't know whether I can actually get through this turn. Um, oh. So I think that it feels a lot more like you have got a chance of it. And I thought I had it sewn up my game, and it ended up lo- and I ended up losing on a tiebreaker um, for a dead start. I should talk about victory, actually, because that's a particularly interesting and particularly odd thing. Uh, at the beginning of Antiquity, there is no way to win the game. Um, it is uh, literally, there isn't a victory condition that you can describe. What happens, though, is at some point you will put aside some stone and you will build a cathedral. When you build a cathedral, you have to uh, dedicate it to one of five patron saints. Ooh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Now, this I does re- two I things. I was ready to be like, oh, is it what if the gods of uh, earth fire? But no, it's a Sparta no, game. No, it's no, no. Be something it's, a little it's, more interesting. It's rural Italy. It's, it's Catholicism extreme. Um, uh, so there's five different saints. Each of them does two things. The first one is they give you an incredible bonus. Actually, one of them gives you a really rubbish bonus. And all the rest of them give you amazing bonuses. Um, Santa Barbara lets you reorganize your entire city. Oh, uh, so whoa, okay. but whereas before you were playing Tetris and when you made a thing, if you put it in the wrong place, that's it. It's there. You've that's one of the big, huge mistakes you can make. Um, one of my big mistakes was putting a single house in a position that meant it was not possible for me to get my cathedral until I built my second city. Like that sort of mistake can happen and can can strangle you in this game. Uh, but Santa Barbara just says, hey, don't worry about that. You can rearrange, you can shuffle around everything in your city whenever you like. Just do it. It's fine. That's that's up to you. It's your city. You do what you want. Um, <laughs> uh, and that's just such a relief. Um, uh, one of the, uh, I can't remember the name, but one of the saints lets you um, store as much food as you want in the cathedral. And you just don't have to worry about uh, about storage anymore. Like for everyone else, they're going, oh, no, do I actually have room to keep that? Can I man my warehouse so that someone can get <laughs> in there and we can keep that food for just one more round? And, yeah, you can just say, hey, no, I don't care about that. There's plenty of room in the cathedral. There's room for everyone. But the, the, each patron state has a second thing, which is that they dictate how you win the game. So if you've got Santa Barbara, you need to get all 20 houses placed in your city. Oh. If, you, if you're great. able to store stuff, you've got to you've got to pull that stuff all together so that you've actually got three of every single resource apart from woods and stones. Oh, the easiest that's so ones good. to get. <laughs> this is like the opposite of what we were talking about with Isle of Cats, where you know, Isle of Cats is like you can draft cards that'll give you some points for doing one of the hundred things that you can do. Where no, but this is so much better. I was ready for you to be like, oh, if you're Santa Barbara, then you get points for doing this. But no, it's like it gives you the finish line. That's yeah, no, awesome. it's a finish line. That's it. That's it. Absolutely. The game ends at the end of each turn. You check whether someone has fulfilled their victory condition and then they win or they lose. They win or you carry on playing. And you um, won on the same turn as someone else. Yeah. So, so, right. So there's one thing to say about the fifth saint is Santa Maria. And this is one of my favorite things in the game. Santa Maria, um, the, the Holy Mother, uh, gives you all of the bonuses of all of the other saints. You build a temple to Santa Maria, you can do all of those. But you've got to fulfill two of the victory conditions. 
of wow. the other saints. And that wow. is that is brutal. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's so tempting because it's so much power. Like honestly, the town on which I built my Santa Maria the- uh, uh, Santa Maria Cathedral and was like, oh wait a second, now I don't have to worry about that. Now I don't have to worry about that. Like all of my worries left me. And then a whole new set of worries came almost immediately after trying to work out how I could actually navigate the land, how I could deal with, because there's pollution being poured on every turn. Every city produces three pollution. and uh, You've got to have somewhere to put it. So the more cities you build and, and you're slow, you're just filling up every single tile with pollution. That means that you can't use the things that you were already using. And oh, everything about this game is just like, oh, yeah, you could do that. You can totally do that. But watch out because this is going to get in your way. There's this always really, some obstacle. It so reminds me of Roads and Boats when we were reviewing that and, you know, realizing like little things like, you know, you've got don- it's all about transporters. What transporters do you have? How many do you have? And it starts with donkeys and you breed them. So then you have a bunch of donkeys. But really, you want to swap them out into trucks. But even when you swap all the donkeys into trucks, which in any other game would be like, well done, you did it. Now you've got this power. You realize that trucks can't go off road, so, you know, which is such a that's that's these moments of splutter in a nutshell of being like you know giving you very simple rules very simple advantages that you then realize because of the nature of how the rest of the game designed are actually like penalties in disguise yeah yeah no that's it exactly like you you get more options but there's still something new to worry about like you start building an efficient farming network and it just means that you're making more pollution and you're you're devastating more of the countryside <laughs> like it's so much more honest than any civ game because it is just like slow ah what happens if you build loads of cities and urbanize things like oh well you just slowly decimate the countryside (laughs) around that city that's what happens and then you end up having to be like oh oh no wait we've ruined this city and we've ruined all the land around it let's build another city (laughs) maybe that'll fix everything the the classic food chain magnate thing of you know like oh we're all gonna sell burgers and pizza what's our number one problem well people don't want them so really food chain magnate (laughs) is a game about fabricating desire so you can then sell the thing that you yeah. made them want in the first place yeah exactly. which is again such a more truthful observation on you know capitalism yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no it's 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 i i genuinely think it's excellent like it is it is brutal it is nasty you're likely to have like a good solid four or five hours of play um and it is it is hard work and everyone will be like complaining the whole time like I've, i i don't know if i've ever m- mentioned on anything shut up and sit downy but like i uh, i have a theory of type two fun okay which is things that are not fun while you are doing them because you are just stressed and and anxious and trying to make the thing work but you look back on it and you think oh that was brilliant <laughs> that um, describes and, all the backpacking i've ever done yeah no exactly i think that it's like it's it's a thing and it is enjoyable, but you will not look like you are enjoying it while you are while you're in the middle of it. You will look. So, like can people buy antiquity? I believe it is out of print. Um, although there may still be copies knocking around, and they do seem to do a uh, reprint every couple of years. Um, so it may be worth digging into that. But there is a bonus here, which is that at the moment, and actually for ages, it is available on Board Game Core which is a uh, website like Board Game Arena that offers online play asynchronously or not. Um, uh, I do have some things to say about that. Board Game, Board Game Core is just focused on, uh, mostly focused on splotter games. So it's got Food Chain Magnate, Antiquity, The Great Zimbabwe, 
and uh, not a Splatter game, but Veers in does Volk. So it's got four games on there and it's very focused on them. Antiquity is the first one that the person who runs the website implemented and it is somewhat nightmarish in its interface. Like every time you do anything, the entire web page has to refresh. Um, oh my. Like it, so you've got to do that. And most of it you get quite used to and you can fall into a habit of, but certain bits of it, like you remember how I described how Santa Barbara is amazing because you suddenly are allowed to rearrange all your Tetris pieces. Mm-hmm. How about if rearranging all of your Tetris pieces involves selecting those pieces from a drop-down menu and then clicking on the correct bit of a board to say this is where it should go and then your page refreshing and then you're having to do that again with another thing. Doing that with about 20, 30 buildings, including all of the houses and potentially all of the gravestones, is not good. <laughs> would um, you, I mean, aside from comedy value, would you recommend people use Board Game Core? Um, I would like to try the other ones because I suspect they're much easier to recommend. I did see someone today saying that the Food Chain Magnate implementation is brilliant, and I suspect no one would say that about the Antiquity implementation. Uh, but it does definitely work. Um, and we had a four-player game uh, that was us having to learn that interface. And while we ran into we ran into we ran into one bug that was actually a bit of a problem, but apart from that, it made sense and it worked what i would say is that there was four of us playing antiquity on board game core um and everyone despite all of the obstacles that the interface threw up um loved it like really really loved it like the person who was basically out of the running for winning for two-thirds of the game uh spent the entire time fiddling around on paper in between turns, drawing a new city layout that was going to be his strategy for next time. Like, everyone everyone loved it, despite the fact that there were a lot of obstacles and a lot of things about that that could have been made smoother. I hope one day that they decide to re-implement it with like a slightly more up-to-date engine, because it is otherwise close to brilliant. Uh, to board game core's credit though it does clearly look like a system that was designed a long time ago for uh, play by email games that uh, would have had a slower pace anyway and i think that trying to play a live game with a system that is designed for that isn't always going to be perfect um but yeah i think it it runs well and it does what you need it to do it will just occasionally cause you large spikes of irritation well i'll tell you something that also may or may not be worth it um recently on the youtube channel i published my big old review of western empires now you might know this game as civilization or advanced civilization which came out in the 80s you might also know it as mega civilization which came out very recently it it's a huge 18 player 12-hour civilization building game. But Megasiv, a few years ago, got split King Solomon style into two separate releases, Western Empires, which came out recently, and then Eastern Empires, which is coming out this year or next year. So Mega Civilization is now split into two games, which are more manageable. Each one plays up to nine, or you can own them both if you want to play an 18-player game. Anyway, this game is nuts. I've done an exhaustive review of that. And we can talk about it now because, Ava, you played this back when it was called Mega Civilization. Yeah, so I've, I've played an 11-player and a 15-player game of Mega Civ. Um, Goodness uh, gracious. Yeah. I played, I, I've played a 9-player game and a 7-player game, and I yeah. suspect, though, that we would have had kind of a similar time. 
Yeah, no, I watched a review the other day, actually, and um, it is very, very, very spot on for what I saw of it. And I'm kind of disappointed that I think there are rough edges to that design that could be could be fixed, but that they're resistant to fix because the people who love that game love that game with all of those things intact. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, I think I I love that it is a combination war game and trading game, uh, by which I mean, you know, you'll have your stern war looking vertically down at the table in front of you. And then about for 10 minutes out of every round, you look up away from the table. You don't look at the table at all because you're looking other players in the eyes and swapping cards and borders don't matter. You can swap cards with any other player in the game. Yeah. yeah Actually, yeah. is that true if you play with more than nine? Uh, yes, it's still true. But if you play with more than nine, the, the decks are split. So there's less goods that you will have to trade with people on the other side. Like they won't necessarily have the same things that they're after. Oh, that's um, cute. So, you so have it like... kind of divides it a little bit without, um, yeah. Okay, okay. Now, so in the review, without wanting to spoil the conclusion, I said, I did have fun and there's definitely magic in there and I don't regret the games I've played, but I wouldn't tell anyone to buy it. Is that where you land as well? It's definitely it's definitely very close to where I land. I think there is a lot of magic in it, but I am, I am not willing... I, I, I've had miserable times with it and I've had good times with it and I've mostly been willing to just like kind of roll with those punches and get wide, but there's been... the there is a thing about that game where because of the way that trade and calamities works, if you are a little bit behind, you might be desperate to trade. If you're desperate to trade, that makes it very easy for someone to make something horrible to happen to you. Mm-hmm. And like, no matter how sorrowful the look in their eyes is when they kick you when you're down, it is a horrible feeling because that kick will put you down for at least another 40 minutes and potentially a lot longer. Like, um, I don't want to subject more people to that game. <laughs> Despite wow. the fact that I think that there's a lot of magic there. I think um there's there's a bit in your review where you're talking about the fact that you're not just you're not just playing a game, you're part of this ecosystem of people. You know, it's got just a touch of the mega game thing. Um but what I would say is that if you can muster 18 people for a game, I would probably recommend you do something that is more role play that has got more of that um personality in it. So I recommend you would go for an actual mega game. Try and find a local group of people who would be up for showing you lending you the rules to a to a mega game and do that for 12 hours rather than rather than put yourself into something that is still about doing good combat mass and strategy and getting picking the right route through a tech tree which is just a bit less romantic and a bit less of a good story. I couldn't agree more. I love the idea of being in a world. That, for me, is what powers Western Empires slash Eastern Empires slash Mega Empires. Gosh, it's tedious to say that sequence of words. Um, But, uh, yeah, being part of a world is amazing. You know, being just one country and knowing that the world, the game, is so big that people are having entire wars and conflicts that not only do you not know know anything about, you don't even know they're happening. You know, except for maybe if one of the players down the table gets like RC and starts raising their voice. Um, but yeah, I think a mega game is just able to do that with so much less friction. You know, it it's, I, I yeah, you know, that's probably a conclusion that the review is now missing. Um, I think Western Empires has been superseded by mega games. Yeah. And I think that I got the feeling that with the, by calling it Megasiv, they were hoping to kind of like lock into that market. 
the when they rebranded like one of the interim versions, uh, Mega Civilization, I think they were definitely trying to say this is a mega game in a box. This is something that gets you that experience, and it is. It is not there. It is very much a mechanical and mechanistic game. Like the trading is the only bit that's got any personality to it, and even that is very, very functional. Of like, kind of like, I want this. Have you got that? No, you haven't. I'm not going to talk to you then. And it's not <laughs> got any like with a mega game. You often end up like having little side conversations about like trying to work out exactly what's going on, and and you will inevitably find out afterwards that someone else was playing a game that was entirely different to yours. With Western Empires, you have got that thing of someone's involved in a war that you knew nothing about, but also there isn't that much to know about that war. Yes. It's not actually going to, you're not going to get a great story out of them. You're just going to be like, oh no, honestly, I just hate this person now and I'm going to hate <laughs> them for a long time. Like, which is emotional. That's a strong emotion. That's a strong feeling, but it doesn't, it doesn't have this, yeah, it doesn't have the same power to my mind. Yeah, uh, and yet you can listen to Ava and I complain about this, but this is a game that we have both played twice. <laughs> you know, it's like not only did we make all the effort to go and play it, we went away and played it again. So yeah. if that doesn't summarize the amount of magic in the game, then uh, I don't know what will. And you can I find probably my- would play it again. I watched your review and I was like, oh god, I hate all of these things about that game, but. If someone, I mean, if someone at the moment, I would probably just want to have anything where I could be in a room with 18 people. But but in general, I think I probably would say yes. And I think I would probably regret that decision, but I would say yes. I, uh, yeah, I... I won't, I won't spoil my conclusion from the end of the video, but um, you'll find that on uh, Shut Up and Sit Down's YouTube channel. Uh, also, uh, in that video is my brief review of our new table. Uh, I find <laughs> Lots of other board game channels have done their thoughts on gaming tables. These are the big, expensive, stupid, luxurious things. Uh, we were given one, and I provided my thoughts on that specific table and gaming tables in general. So you'll find that at the end of Shut Up and Sit Down's Western Empire's review on YouTube. That's about it from us this episode. But before we leave, I do have uh, an email from Mike Anastasia here, who writes uh, from Massachusetts, USA, saying, Dear boys, shut up and sit down. I listened to your recent podcast on the subject of your first 18xx game experience with great interest, as I've always loved those games and was very curious to see how you would react. I was a bit dismayed when you indicated that 1889 had been out of print for ages. This is simply not the case, and I thought you and your other listeners might like to know. 18xx is a bit of a niche within a niche of board gaming, and as such, their publishing is generally a bit more small scale than the rest of the hobby. However, many of the titles are available new today from Golden Spike Games, including 1889, or All Aboard Games. That's goldenspikegames.com or all-aboardgames.com. Toot toot. Thank you very much, Mike. The toot toot was from Mike, not from me, but I mean, it can be from me as well. Toot toot. Toot toot. toot, toot. Oh, that's that's actually, oh, that's the rule in um, Rail Pass. Gosh, there's a good game. Uh <laughs> That, there's a game that definitely could have had more coverage from Shut Up Is Down and did not receive it. But if you're interested in a very stupid game about passing trains to your friends while saying the words toot toot, definitely Google Rail Pass because it's pretty great. It's pretty good to say toot toot. Let's be honest about this. It's pretty great to say toot toot. Ava, a toot toot to you. What do you have on for the rest of the day? Um, I am probably going to go for a walk and maybe even a little swim in a river. Ooh. 
a brave yeah. soul. That's yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's fine. It's getting to the warm time of year. It's easy. It's easier to do it now. I did do one on the winter solstice. So I, uh, anything feels like balmy tropical weather to me. Um, I had compared the, to that. Uh, I live near uh, uh, the beach in uh, Brighton in England. And uh, the other day I was going for a run by the beach and four women who, all of whom must have been older than about 60, came out of the water like uh, Ursula Andrus from that that first James Bond movie. Um, wearing full wetsuits as well. And like it was like freezing water, like all the water around in England seems freezing. But yeah, these four old women, bah, 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 striding, you know, out of the water together, like laughing and, and all that. It was, it was amazing. Well, that's going to be me, except with a tiny river in Yorkshire. <laughs> the sounds great. And thank you for listening, everybody. We'll be back in another couple of weeks with some board games that we've scraped up from the bottom of the safe isolation barrel thank you very much everybody I don't cool. know if I'm supposed to say bye <laughs> no it doesn't uh, it, uh, wait, hang on well, are you still recording at your end yeah give me a bye bye perfect there we go